Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome back to A Pod of Their Own. This is episode 118 of A Pod of Their Own. I am Allison McCaig, and I am joined this week by my lovely co-hosts, Linda Sarovich. Hello, Linda. Hey, Allison. And Kellyanne Healy. Hello, Kellyanne. Hello, Allison. Hello, Linda. Hello. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) We are also joined this week by a very special guest. We've been so excited um, about this for weeks now, and we finally get to tell you all um, that we have a very special guest on the pod this week. Elizabeth Ben. Elizabeth, welcome to the podcast. We're so excited to have you on. Thank you so much for having me. It's exciting to be on a podcast with three other women. Yes. Oh, we're Um, so happy to have you. For those of you who have maybe been living under a rock Mets news wise, um, Liz Ben is the Mets new director of Major League Operations. She was hired back in February. Um, she is the highest ranking woman to hold a baseball operations role in the team's history. Liz previously served as senior coordinator of baseball operations for Major League Baseball and was also the first woman to play in the New York Metro Baseball League um, as pitcher. Um, she has a master's in philosophy from Columbia University and is an adjunct lecturer at Lehman College. Um, so Liz, baseball has been a part of your life from a very early age. Um, can you tell our listeners a little bit about how you first fell in love with the game? Absolutely. So, um, my mom is really kind of the reason that I'm a baseball fan. She's from New York, from Jersey city, really. Um, and so she kind of just like raised me with baseball since I was literally a baby. So I'm from Toronto. Um, and I was born in September 93 and the Jays won the world series in the very start of November 93. And apparently their win prompted a a nice first smile in me. So it's really kind of been a part of me since I was literally a baby, but um, I have an older brother and he wanted to play and it's just kind of the two of us and our parents. So um, he needed to play catch with somebody and I was there. And so that's kind of how it got started. It was just kind of loving watching it, but also um, throwing a ball around with my brother. That's awesome. I just, uh, that's, um, I'm trying to think, I'm trying to think of like a follow-up to that right now. I had one in my head (laughs) and it completely went out of my head. Well, I just love that it was your mom that introduced you to the game. Like everybody always assumes like fathers and sons, but there is that important connection between mothers and daughters. Like, you know, unfortunately my mom is from Philadelphia and a Phillies fan, but. (laughs) Oh gosh, Linda. (laughs) And I, and I was going to say, actually, my mom, both actually, both my parents um, were Mets fans. And I like to say I've been a Mets since I was negative three, since I was born in 89 and the Mets last won the World Series in 86. Um, but they they both really got got me into it. And um, my mom and I still watch games like crazy. We watched spring training on a Sunday and we were we were going back and forth just like talking about what was going on. So that's also, so kind of how my mom and I's relationship is. I mean, like we, when I was in high school, we went to a ton of Jays games together and I would always be there with my mom. Um, but even still, like we'll watch games together 
well, together from a distance because we'll be either on the phone or texting or something. Um, but even now, I mean, she's kind of like paying attention to what we're doing, sending me her thoughts um, and being like, hey, are you going after this free agent and everything? So, I mean, she's still very much uh, a part of it and kind of my go-to. My, my dad could not care less about any sports at all. Um, <laughs> like, if you're having fun, go for it. Just do, do your thing. Have fun. Be smart. I'm like, great. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> That's awesome. Hey, you know what? Even if he doesn't like sports, he's supportive. That's what exactly. matters the most. Exactly. Very supportive with my my academic career, and then mom kind of with my my uh, athletic career. Totally get that. Totally get that. Do we want to go to the next? Oh, that's me. Yes, <laughs> that's you. Just, whoopsie! Sorry for the dead air, guys. When did you th- uh, start to think of baseball as something that could be a career for you? I honestly don't think I actually started it until started to think of it as a long-term career until I was actually in the commissioner's office. Um, wow. Really? Yeah. It just, it was never kind of part of the plan. Like I, I always kind of coached um, baseball for fun on the side. And then when I was at Columbia, um, I was coaching in uh, a program in Harlem. Um, but my old boss from the Jays Care Foundation was like, Hey, you should meet some people at the commissioner's office. And I was like, why would I, why would I do that? So well, maybe there's a job for you. It's like, Oh, that'd be cool. Um, so I met people who were in the youth programs department and, um, I ended up interning for them. So that's kind of when I got my first taste of it, but really it was kind of just more of the behind the scenes of what I was already doing, um, coaching youth baseball. Um, but then I really remember this one day we had what they called lunch and learn sessions and, um, two lawyers from the labor relations department, uh, came down and talked to all the interns and they explained what they did and kind of the baseball operations, labor relations side. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is so interesting. And just the, the idea of kind of making arguments and everything, um, kind of in, in a legal setting, but still making arguments was similar to what I was doing in philosophy. Um, and so I was like, oh, wait, I, I kind of I kind of do understand this um, because of my academic background. So I thought it would be really cool to do. I just didn't think that I had a path, pathway into it because I wasn't a lawyer um, or I didn't do like economics or math in school. Um, but then really, I just I met um, Paul Mifsud, who's VP at MLB and baseball operations and a lawyer and one of those two labor lawyers who was there that day. Um, and turns out that he has had a passion for helping women in baseball for years and years and years. Um, just out of coincidence, that was not part of his job description. He just wanted to help women and girls in baseball. Um, so then he ended up bringing me on into a player programs and labor relations internship. And that's kind of where it blossomed. And I thought, oh, well, I could actually kind of make a career out of this. So really it was several months into already having a career in baseball that I realized, wait, I could actually do this long term. Oh, that's fantastic. So you come, you come at things from a unique perspective as someone whose educational background is in philosophy. How does your scholarship affect your work and how do you, how you approach your job? So I'm a big advocate of the idea that everybody should do philosophy at some point. And when people laugh at the <laughs> fact that I have a philosophy degree, I'm like, well, it got me here. So clearly it's good for something. Um, but philosophy does, it's, you can, what I like about it is that you could really cover any topic within philosophy. So my main focuses are actually philosophy of art and social and political philosophy. Um, but the foundation of what philosophy is academically is making arguments, uh, being able to see other sides of arguments. And so what it teaches you to do is precisely that. Just think of arguments on both sides, um, pros and cons of every situation. Um, it really teaches you how to think and how to write. And so all of that is so important in baseball. And you know, if we're thinking of making a, a trade or something, so like the Chris Bassett trade this year, um, we're trying to think of it from our side, what would be beneficial for us, but what would also be beneficial for Oakland and how are they probably thinking about this? And so you have to see it from both ends and make 
concise arguments. I've learned everything's very concise in baseball, especially when making transactions and um, deals with other teams. So um, it teaches you how to think this way. So I've found it extremely helpful for me um, in my in my baseball career. It's really cool. I never would have thought like and it's also just amazing how like your skills that you learned, you can apply it to something that you never would have thought before, like baseball and philosophy. You don't know you usually associate that, but you know, now when you put it that way, it makes total sense. Yeah. I was um, talking to like some of our analytics guys the other day and they're like, well, what book should we read? Like take a philosophy <laughs> book for us. And I was like, read Plato's symposium. And I was like, will that be applicable to analytics? No. But I think that there's some cool stuff and cool perspectives that could be applicable to something that they do in their job at some point. Yeah. As someone who comes from like a science, like a hard science background um, and who's really into baseball, I see I see it everywhere in sports and in baseball. And I like that not only are we revolutionizing front offices from the point of view of, you know, diversity, gender diversity, racial diversity, et cetera, but also diversity of educational backgrounds and like the way of approaching things, I think is, you know, super important to building a modern front office. And I think that more and more, you know, teams are realizing that, you know, they should bring in like physicists and they should bring in philosophy uh, majors and they should bring in all sorts of different backgrounds. And that's really like the best way to make uh, a workplace work is to have people that think about things differently. Definitely. And I think that that's awesome. actually something that I think is missing sometimes from conversations about diversity. And I mean, as baseball, but workplaces too, is that it's always kind of focused on who somebody looks like. And that's obviously extremely important. I mean, we're all women and so we're a minority in baseball. And that's really important to focus on. But I think that the diversity of background and experiences really needs to be emphasized a whole lot. Um, and I think that that's something that I really loved um, about the Mets. Like even this morning, we we're having um, kind of our baseball operations leadership call. And there's some people in that call who do this work that I know I really want to be able to do, but I can't because I'm not a math person. I'm not a science person, but just hearing kind of what everybody's working on, it's so drastically different. And so when you have all these different pieces, actually putting them together makes such a nice cohesive system um, where player development and stuff is just attacked from every single angle. And it's just fun to learn from people who think about things differently from Oh, you. Absolutely. Yeah, like the conversations that were happening yesterday, I went and felt kind of like a recovery technology that was being developed. And like, I don't know anything about that, but it sounds so cool and I want to see it work and I want to see how it works. So um, yeah, definitely a great learning experience here. Yeah, it's just being exposed to different things too and to expose to different ways of thinking. Like it's just, you know, it helps you grow not only professionally, but as a person too. Like, you know, you get to learn something new, which is uh, which is pretty cool. Um, so you know, as we we were all very excited when we saw it was announced the Mets hired hired you, so, but it was during the lockout. So, what was it like that you well, that you were hired during the lockout and all the uncertainty that came along with that? Yeah, so it was definitely an interesting time to start. Um, I think that in some ways I felt a little bit lucky at the time that there was no um, kind of major league transactions or anything to worry about, just because for the first week and a half or so I could just focus on okay. What is our system? What are our approaches here? How do we actually um, kind of work it within this organization? So I kind of got some time to get to know um, that side of it. So that was kind of nice that I could do that without having to worry about like day to day tasks. Um, but then I, I came down to spring training um, two or three days before the lockout ended, expecting to be here for um, four days total. You just kind of see the minor league side and meet people. And then the lockout ended while I was here. 
um, that it very much picked up extremely quickly. Um, and I felt like I had to learn the entire job within an hour or so <laughs> before kind of they lifted the, the ban on talking to um, agents and players and everything. So um, it was it was kind of a nice calm like week and a half of learning everything and feeling like, oh, this will be great. All these people are so nice going on Zooms with me. And then very much Billy F. Lewis asked me, what happens to our CBT if we get this guy? And I need to quickly figure out how CBT works. Um, so it was a little stressful then, but um, it was also kind of a nice way to have to learn everything quickly. So I think I'm probably a little uh, further ahead than I would be if it was a little bit more steady when I started. So do you think um, during the lockout, how did it affect your ability to do your job? Or was it just, you know, you were too busy just trying to settle in and getting the lay of the land at that point? Yeah, I think it was a lot of that. And um, really, so last year um, at the commissioner's office, when I started doing a lot of the work on transactions, the first few months were before the season started. And so there wasn't much happening. Um, and so that's the time that I really spent to dig into the rules and regulations with my bosses. And then once the season started, it was like, okay, now apply it. And so that um, actual experience working with the rules and regulations is how I fully learn the, learn them and fully grasp them. So it's kind of similar here in that it was like, okay, let me learn this stuff on paper and in a theoretical sense. And then the lockout ends, boom, here we go. Time to solidify all these ideas and approaches in my mind. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and how has it been, di- this is sort of a follow-up to that, but how has it been different, like coming over from the, you know, the league side to the team side? So it was, um, I'm glad that I came from that side. Um, I think a lot of people with clubs, you just see kind of, they bounce between clubs um, every few years or so. But coming from the league side, I think I, it gave me a good perspective of how clubs operate differently from one another. Mm-hmm. Um, but also it gave me that background of what the transactions and things should look like from the back end. And so now when I'm doing our actual transactions, I know kind of the checklist that I'm going through, what needs to be in place. Um and kind of like all intact before actually putting the submit button. Um, what's interesting though, is that now, whereas before I was kind of just like checking off, yep, that's there, that's there, that's there, everything looks good. Now I'm actually trying to figure out the strategy and the long-term ramifications of every transaction that we make. Um, and that's kind of what Billy Epler is kind of hoping that he can lean on me for this year is just being able to say, okay, well, if we opt in this guy, that's how that affects our pitching opportunities or options for the next three series. Um, and so now I'm trying to learn all the strategy components of it um, and like player evaluation and all that kind of stuff. And so that's kind of where the challenge is right now is just kind of getting to kind of shift my perspective a little bit as to how to approach these different problems. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Um, we were kind of talking earlier um, about, you know, how um you think a lot about, you know, issues of gender discrimination and it's not just about, you know, what someone looks like, but diversity is a wide ranging thing. Um, and equity in baseball is a wide ranging thing. Um, but how far do you think baseball has come in this area, not just gender, but diversity in general, um, since you began as an intern five years ago and what are specific areas that you think still need improvement? I think it's been pretty drastic. I mean, in tw- so I kind of look at when I was an intern in 2017, but really it was winter meetings 2018 at MLB we launched a program called Take the Field, which is a professional development, essentially a boot camp for women interested in coaching, scouting, player development, and base operations. So we launched this program thinking, hey, if we get one woman hired out of this program where we have 60 coming in, that will be a huge win. That will be great. Well, around, I believe, 40% of women who have attended that program from 2018 until this last year have gotten hired into full-time roles. And so that's a huge number. And so um, when we look at that, it's kind of clear that 
it was never kind of a, or at least not recently, there was never a reluctance to having women in baseball because they're women. It was just clubs didn't have readily available, ready now candidates right in front of them. Um, and so by putting up this program together, we kind of got in a position where we could say, hey, this group of candidates is ready for a job right now. Here are their resumes. Take a look. Um, and then here's another kind of pile of candidates who, once we put some more professional development into them, um, they'll be ready in a few years. And so now there's this pipeline that's built up. And clubs, when I was still at MLB, were emailing me all the time saying, hey, could we have to take the field resume? And so it kind of became this brand where it's like, hey, this is a reliable source for candidates. Um, and so like the 11 coaches who have been hired in the last couple of years, like that's huge. Like that's growth we don't see anywhere else. Um, so I think it's growing tremendously and at a pretty rapid pace. Um, I think that the one area where we see there needs to be some more um, growth is kind of the position that that I'm in is we see a lot of entry level um, diversity in baseball, but then that jump to kind of leadership positions, that's where it's still a little bit slow. Um, but I know like the people at the commissioner's office, that was always a, a huge part of the conversations um, of how we we're going to develop our programming. And so I know that's, that's being taken care of. And so I'm not really worried about that in the next couple of years, but I think that we'll start, we'll start to see those changes happening soon. Yeah, absolutely. I, and we see, I feel like we see that in, you know, all sorts of fields and not just baseball. Baseball is experiencing the same thing that a lot of fields are like academia. I experienced it where, you know, our graduate program that I got my PhD was, you know, over half women. But then as you got higher and higher into, you know, uh, full-time professors, it was less and less. And as you got yeah. into like department chairs, it was even less. And so, I think, and they use that, a lot of people use that term quote, leaky pipeline. And it bothers me so much because I feel like that implies some sort of passive, like thing that they just let happen as opposed right. to the way the system is designed that pushes people away at higher levels. Um, it's more like, you know, the, the pipeline is, is leaking, but they're like diverting towards the leak on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Right. And um, I think that just baseball too, like we, I don't, I don't know. I think that I'm, I'm pretty optimistic about where we're going to just because again, like there's been such a massive influx of women in the last couple of years. Like I take the field two years ago, there are over 200 women from clubs on it. And I that's amazing. genuinely did not know that there are 200 women working at clubs. Um, and so when you see those numbers, like clubs prefer to hire internally. And so they have over 200 options of people who um, are kind of there already. And probably are doing a great job. And so I think that we'll see the promotion soon, I think. Um, and even like on field too, like Rachel Balkovic with the Yankees, she did an amazing mm -hmm. job as a, as a minor league man uh, coach and now she's a manager. So, I mean, it's, yeah. we're, we're seeing it work now. So to follow up on that, do you think the more women we see, it's more like becoming normalized or do you think there's still like this reaction? Like it's like a novel thing when you see a woman on the field, like what's the reaction been like? around baseball? So I, I think it kind of depends where you are, I think, um, what area you're in. So um, I always get angry when I see um, news stories about how a certain girl who's playing high school baseball is in a quote unquote, like league of her own, because I've seen that headline hundreds and hundreds of times now for like <laughs> girls playing high school baseball. Um, it's always the same headline. So, I mean, it's, I think that on the playing level, I think that people just need to, start to understand that girls also play baseball they don't have to play softball um and then on the actual professional side um nobody was like shocked by my presence here and i think i kind of i probably came in with like a little implicit bias against myself 
and thought, okay, like I'm going to have to go through the process where people have to warm up to me and I kind of have to prove myself to people. But it was like day three here and I was like, everybody likes me and nobody said any weird comment and people are inviting me into extra meetings and Buck Showalter is saying that I can go to all of his coaches meetings. So like there was just no resistance at all. And so I think it's been normalized to the point where people aren't, people aren't really phased by it, at least at the Mets. Um, another funny thing that I realized was my first day here, I saw another woman walking by and I got so excited. I was like, oh, hey, how's it going? And she looked at me like I was crazy. And then later that day, I found out that there's like like 20 women working on the minor league side and player development or something. So, I mean, it's like, okay, like it's, it's not a novelty anymore. And I need to get that through my mind as well. So that kind of, well, first, before I ask my question, I just, um, just want to jump back to saying you were at the, um, you had a discussion with the analytics department about what book they should read next. And I have a good philosophy slash baseball fan recommendation. And that is infinite baseball by Alvin Noe. It's a great book. I'll have to look at that. I haven't read that one yet. Um, okay. So what, uh, we'll jump back and this kind of flows into what you were just talking about. How do you respond to the accusations of tokenism that come with these new opportunities that women are getting in front offices and on the field? Um, just from what you just said, the Mets, um, have been really great. Do you I just kind of follow up with that question? Do you get the feeling that it's the same with the other clubs? Um, I'm sure there's some variety. I mean, every club has a different approach, so I'm not sure. Um, I've obviously only worked for the Mets on the club side, so I can't really speak for other clubs. But um, I think that in my experience in baseball, nobody who I'm actually working with seems mad about me being here. None of the players seem mad about me being here. It's kind of just people who are on the outside looking in. Um, Mm. And that's also kind of been similar to my playing experience is that generally it's like the players are like, okay, cool. You make us better. Great. Welcome to the team. It's people kind of on the outside looking in being like, why are you there? Why are you with this group? Um, And so I think it's from the inside, there isn't much of it. I don't think. Um, But when, when you look at social media and stuff, you know, I saw, I only got one kitchen comment when I was hired and somebody said something like, um, oh, the food's going to be better with like a new cook at the Mets this year, blah, 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 when I was hired. So, I mean, like you, you hear that type of crap from, from outside. Um, but I think if you look at the actual resumes of the women who are coaching and everything, you see that they are such unbelievably qualified candidates. Like again, Rachel Balkovic has several master's degrees. One is in eye tracking specifically in baseball hitters. It's like, how could you get a better candidate than that? So um, what's been kind of nice too, is that some of my friends who are former players They've actually asked me, they say, hey, some other former players have like asked me um, why these people are getting, like why these women are getting jobs and they're not. And so they've actually asked me, like, how should I respond to them? Um, so there are so many allies out there, too, who are trying to help the cause um, and understand it. And they just want to kind of raise awareness that, hey, look, these are all unbelievably qualified candidates getting these jobs. It's not tokenism at all. Supremely so, ironic that the person who made the kitchen comment tried to make an own and the Mets used to have a female executive chef and now they just hired a male executive chef. So it's like not even a good joke. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> like, they're not they're trying to be funny and they're failing on like many levels. <laughs> well, and also just to go along with that, too, do you think for women, you kind of have to be overqualified to get noticed. Like Kim Ng should have been hired like years ago. Um, or is it just, you know, as long as you have the qualifications, it doesn't matter. I think it, um, it depends on what area you're in. So like right now um, in analytics, it's kind of the academic background and the work 
that you've done that get you in. And so if you have a great resume and that great, like your resumes, besides the name on top, like it's not gendered. So if you meet the qualifications you're in, and I don't think that they have to have extra qualifications. I think it's more of the stuff like coaching, which I keep kind of coming back to um, just because none of the female coaches have professional baseball playing experience. And so mm, how yeah. do you, what do you do there? Um, and that's kind of the standard for the coaches. So in those cases, like, yeah, sure. They need to have different experiences. Um, but I think that it is kind of evening out a little bit more and just the way that teams are hiring and stuff. It's just, they're looking at resumes and the resumes are, they, they tell the truth about what this person has done before. It's just kind of the on-field rules. I think where the different experiences, yes, women are going to have to do more academic work or more, um, more of a variety of coaching positions or something before getting a, a coaching job. Whereas men sometimes just have to have been players. Getting back to the Mets, it's an exciting time to be a part of this organization with Max Scherzer. And um, there's a lot of buzz around the team right now. Um, so did, with the team on, the fact that they are a team on the rise, did that play into your decision to join the organization? And what are your thoughts of the team's chances in 2022? So I would be lying if I said that it didn't affect me at all. Um, <laughs> so I think really, if I'm like very honest, I did not think that I was going to work for a team for another five years or so, if ever. Um, I love my job at the commissioner's office and I really didn't want to leave. I, I wanted to figure out a way to do both, but that's not okay. So I had to pick one. Um, and so I kind of made myself a checklist of all the qualities that I would want with the team. And so um, it included a GM with a, a really good reputation as kind of a leader of a team. So Billy Epler checked. Um, it's an organization that, um, you know, I like, I know several people and I know what they think of the team and I know what they think of the culture of the team. They had that, um, very practically, I didn't have to move. So that was huge, but I didn't really want to go to a team where, um, I would be in a position where I didn't really have support and had to just immediately help out and like know everything in kind of a rebuilding phase. Cause that's a lot of pressure. Um, and because I haven't worked for a team before, I don't know, um, kind of the way that teams approach certain things. So just coming to the Mets, it was okay. It's a great team. It is not in a rebuilding phase, it's kind of in this like win now phase with a strong farm system too. Um, and I have the support around me, like with Ian Love and our AGM, um, with people who know how all this stuff works on the team side and have a lot of experience. And so I kind of had that support in the job too. Um, so it was, just, it was a lot of things, but I think um, if it was kind of a middle of the pack team, I probably wouldn't have been as, as motivated or excited. But the fact that I could stay in New York and potentially help bring a championship to New York. That was very much a, an, a, um, an exciting idea for me <laughs> thinking about this job. So how do you think they'll do this year? I think Got any right. predictions? I, mean, <laughs> I think we'll do great. I mean, just watching spring training too. It's just, it's such a positive energy around and everybody is working so hard. I mean, I saw it like, Robinson Cano was doing extra ground balls on the field earlier. And I don't think that he had to do that. He just wanted to. So, I mean, the guys are just working so hard. The staff is excited. Um, yesterday we had a meeting with kind of everybody in baseball operations and they talked about all the different investments in staff and technology and stuff that we made the last year, um, last off season. So just like all the pieces are right there. So I'm pretty optimistic right now. Yeah. And like having Max Scherzer and Jacob DeGrom pitch in the same game. I know that there are practical ramp yeah. up reasons for why that happened, but like but it does not make it any less cool. It feels like no. it's showing off a little bit. <laughs> oh, win. It was wild to actually watch that. And like, I put it on my Twitter, like it was just the most crowded I've ever seen a spring training game. And it was, it was just amazing. It was so cool. Um, and then it's just like, Oh, cool. Like Chris Bassett is our third guy. Like he would be like, 
two in a lot of organizations or even yeah. one in organizations. So, I mean, it's just, it's so strong. And it's putting the roster together right now is so exciting because we have so many good options um, of kind of how to, how to structure this whole thing. That's fantastic. And I, like for me personally, I just love how the attitude has changed. I think at least for me as a Mets fan, um, just over the past year or two, since Steve Cohen became the owner and just this investment and caring, um, not necessarily just the players themselves, but all of the behind the scenes, um, uh, jobs that it takes to, put this team on the field to have a good, um, system from top to bottom. And, um, and it's obviously it's going to like take a few years for it to come to full fruition, but to see that going on right now, especially since over the past two years, uh, we've all had to deal with the pandemic. So that obviously affects things in a lot of ways. Um, but as a fan, I just, I'm like super excited right now. <laughs> Just everybody seems so genuinely invested. Like, I mean, Steve Cohen was like sitting here for a couple games. He was sitting in the stands the other day. So, I mean, he's just, he's so personally wants this to happen too. Like that's, it's amazing to have that kind of ownership support. His wife works with us. Um, even I think his wife's dad is like the biggest Mets fan ever. So like, there's just like this family tie to it also, which is really nice. And he's a, he's a fan, which is nice. He's oh, actually yeah. a fan of the team. Is yeah, like he, he wears his Mets hat everywhere. It's amazing. Yeah. And it's, Uh, that's not trivial. Like there are so many ownership groups who, you know, even if they're like really invested in the product, they're not like fans of the team. It's just like, mm -hmm. it's, it's just like business for them, which, you know, it's fine, but it's like, it's, it's refreshing to have an owner who's a Mets fan. Like that's really cool. Um, So he, and he, so he gets that side of just fandom. So yeah. I mean, even though when he did the inner squad game right before spring training started, everybody who came got like a beer or a soda. Like it just, those little things mean so much. So it's, it's cool to see that level of investment. Yeah. Um, so I know this is pretty soon to ask this question since this is your first season and you were talking about a little bit about this earlier. Have you developed short-term and long-term goals for the Mets yet? And if so, how do they fit in with Billy Epler's vision for the team? And I know yeah, you were so- talking about, um, uh, learning the strategies and more about player evaluations and how the transactions affect the club um, long-term. So I do see that you're already thinking about that, but is there, I guess, anything else? Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's tough, but I think Billy's also very clear about his goals for the team. Um, and so is Buck too. So like, that's another thing. Buck is very much in all these discussions and it's a very collaborative effort between the front office and, um, and our manager, which I, I don't think exists everywhere, but I mean, Buck is an integral part of every conversation that we're having, which I think is important. Um, but I mean, like right now it's put together a great opening day roster, um, get people out of here healthy. Um, and so far, knock on wood, like everything seems to be going really well but um, i just knocked that... on my wooden desk <laughs> exactly well, <laughs> know, thank, right? you. thank you very much um, <laughs> like personally it's just i i feel like i need to be in a place in the next nine nine ten days um where i can just kind of jump in so uh, personally i just want to have all of my systems in place where when billy asks me a question i can say something i have systems where i can kind of come up with suggestions um so really just kind of solidifying the basis of learning my job it's i think yesterday was exactly one month so i'm a month on the job and i feel pretty good about it so i just want to kind of tie out the loose ends um but long term i think um obviously kind of maintain a high caliber team and also farm system 
Um, I'm not on the farm system side, but I really love coaching and coach development. Um, and so I've been at conversations with some of the guys here, like Dick Scott, about coaching development and things that I've done in the past, mostly for women. I'm getting into coaching. Um, and he's fascinated by it. And so he was like, yeah, please tell me, please share anything you have. So um, I think like long term, I once I kind of have my actual main job down, um, I'd like to kind of get more involved in the player development side a little bit, too, just because that's what I'm really interested in and kind of curious about um, and see what I can help out with there. But um, long term goals for the Mets is just kind of keep that championship caliber team for as long as possible while having a really um, strong farm system that can just kind of support that and, and feed that and um, sustain that that top major league team um, so that we're really picking players from within and not having to use like the free agency market or anything like that. That's um, fantastic. Yeah, I, I um, and this kind of leads into my next question too, um, because you talked about uh, maybe getting in, more involved in the player dev side a little more. Um, so do you sort of see yourself in baseball for the rest of your career? I know you mentioned earlier in the interview that, you know, this is kind of like an earlier transition for you from the commissioner side, from a league side to team side than you anticipated, but the opportunity was there. Um, do you kind of see this as, you know, a rest of your career sort of thing? Um, and what do you think the future holds for you? <laughs> we know that this is unpredictable, so... <laughs> Yeah, it's a very daunting question. <laughs> so <laughs> right, right now, yes, but also I keep getting my like Facebook memories from the last um, several years, and um, it was five years ago, um, a few days as a few days ago that I got my first internship with the commissioner's office, um, and then I saw eleven years ago that I got into my college, and so I just feel like everything kind of changes so quickly. Yeah. Um, I don't know. So I really like the baseball side. Um, what I want to keep doing and really and everybody's supportive of me to continue doing is kind of the women in baseball girls and baseball work so I think as long as I'm able to balance kind of the baseball side and, and doing the competitive um, team side with really social justice in there in some way too um, I will be happy doing this for a very long time yeah uh, and as you know as an all-women-led podcast we are thrilled to hear someone with those goals uh working with the Mets because like that's all we want to see too from the fan perspective is just see more of that happening on uh in the club that we care about so absolutely really everybody here is so supportive I mean everybody like seems to love the girls baseball side loves to have women in baseball like it just I know that there's like things in the then the teams past that have a bad reputation but it's been so positive and so supportive here if you didn't know about that you could not even imagine that in here yeah, that's it's just so encouraging to hear that, especially, you know, after the, the like, we didn't really bring that up today. We're uh -huh. not going to talk, yeah. dwell on that. Yeah, we don't but, need to talk about it. It's 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 in the past and very much not like nowhere near the culture. What what it is today. Yeah, that's yeah. that's and I, I and I think it's for a very obvious reason. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all I'm going to say. Yeah. <laughs> so um, but. Um, anyway, thank you so much for your time, Liz. We are going to end the show um, like we always do with walk-off wins where each of us talks about something that is making us happy this week, baseball-related or otherwise. Liz, I know you have a really good walk-off win, so I'm excited <laughs> for it. So tell us all about it. So, yeah, very exciting walk-off win. Yesterday was pretty much the best day of my life because um, I saw on our dietitian's Instagram um, a kitten. And I knew about Josh Walker's cat that he found um, in his car. And so I was like, where is this kitten? So I'm running around like a maniac through the clubhouse trying to find the cat because I have no chill when it comes to animals. <laughs> <laughs> I 
at one of our clubbies and I was like, where is this cat? So he showed me. Um, and it's just like the tiniest, sweetest little baby boy you've ever seen. Um, and so I went and played with him several times yesterday. And he was just so cute and cuddly and like just wanted to be like played with. So um, it was the best day ever. Oh, that's well, great. Now I have a follow up. Have you met Shay yet? <laughs> uh, I have not met Shay yet, but oh. I'm so excited to meet him. He did not make his way down to spring training, okay. even though a colleague of mine and, we're, and me were trying to petition for that. But that is the first stop when I get back to the office and sit at City Field and scope out Shay. <laughs> it's going to be like I, twice as big as he is now by then. <laughs> we're, we're so angry about that. We're like, we want puppy Shay first. Yeah, you need the puppy snuggle. (laughs) And I think that's something that all of us uh, on this podcast have in common is that none of us have any chill when it comes to animals. So that makes us very excited. And we just we just want to see like a Mets pets calendar, maybe. Oh, that'd be (laughs) so good. That'd be so good. I will say there are three bark in the or bark on the park bark in the park days this year. So three dog days. Yes, I've already read my calendar. (laughs) <laughs> I wish I could bring my dog, but she is a stress mess around people. So <laughs> yeah. I have as, as a, as a fellow black and white cat owner, I was very excited about Josh, about Metro, about Josh Walker's cat. because it's so cute. It reminds <laughs> yeah. me of my kitty. Although I know I've never seen what she looked like when she was a kitten, but um, we, we also have a black and white tuxedo cat. So have a soft spot for them. Wait, Liz. Now I also have a follow, follow-up question. <laughs> Just, <laughs> Have you met any of the other players' pets? I have not yet, but I did meet um, one of our athletic trainers' um, dogs. Her name is Rue, and she's a very good girl when I met her. Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> Inject all of the pets into my veins. I was going to say, we need Willow. We need Willow yes. and Willow. Yes, we do. Yeah, Willow, Willow and Mac. Yes, and Mac. Yes. Our pet goals. Just Dog all of the pets. love each other. All of the pets in the world. <laughs> Yes. Um, Kellyanne Healy, what is your walk-off win for this week? Okay. So Liz, I work in a library and um, I'm a children's librarian. So one of my younger patrons was in India for um, just over a month and he came back last week and he and his family brought me back um, a small gift from the Ambavilas Palace in Karnataka, which I just thought was the sweetest, most thoughtful thing because, I mean, obviously, like, I'm not a teacher that's every day in their lives, um, but they were thinking about me uh, thousands and thousands of miles away, and they brought me back, like, a really, really nice gift that I really enjoy. That's great. That's my walk-off win this that's week. That's so sweet. I love that. Yeah. Linda Serovich, what is your walk-off win for this week? We kind of touched upon it, but uh, Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer pitching at the ah! same day. <laughs> um, you know, the offseason was hard. Um, so it kind of like dampened like all the good feelings around like the bets and baseball and um, to, with the lockout and everything. Um, but then just seeing DeGrom and Scherzer back to back like that. It just reminds you of like the beauty of baseball. And like, I was literally laughing. Like it was like strike three, strike three, strike three. I'm like, Oh, nope. You're out. You're out. You're out. (laughs) It was like almost like just comical to watch. Like, and just, and just, and watching the players just show the respect. I forget. Wait, was it Yellas? I think it was on the Cardinals who just was nodding, nodding and smiling at Jacob. Just like, yep. Yep. I got owned here. 
Yeah. Respect. And like this one kid, like sure, sure struck out on like three pitchers. Like, yeah, you had no chance. <laughs> and he just like shook his head. Like, yeah, I had no chance on that one. Like this is, this is our like reality now. Plus then it helped that like Lindor hit two home runs. So mm-hmm. it was like almost like the perfect day at the ballpark. Like, I mean, even the Palm Beach Cardinals had fun with it on Twitter. Yeah. So it was like kind of just recapturing the magic, some of the magic that had been lost and like the good feelings that had been lost. Like, no, baseball's fun. Baseball's good. Baseball's supposed to be like, like ridiculous like this. It's sometimes. So, you know, it, it was just, like I said, you just had to like shake your head watching like every single time. It's like straight, straight. Nope. You're out. You're out. You're out. And I can't even imagine, like, I wish I was there to like experience that. And I hope, hopefully that's just a preview of things to come. Like, I know it's not going to be the same game, but you know, that, you on that kind know. Of days, I'll take it. Yeah. You never know. <laughs> yes. Sure. sure I'm, 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 I'm a bullpen in the playoffs. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. I'm not going to say anything else, but it's not impossible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, someday we can dream it made me it made me so excited for because i have tickets for the friday april 8th game as i've been saying every week for the past like (laughs) uh because i know that that's going to be max scherzer's mets debut in dc and i am so excited for it i can't wait um but um my walk-off win for this week um is that my family visited me here in dc um over the weekend and we took a a walk around the tidal basin and we looked at all the cherry blossoms and it was just really lovely the blossoms were in peak bloom so we planned it perfectly um it was a little chilly (laughs) uh it's been unseasonably cold uh which is why i'm really jealous that liz is in florida (laughs) Uh, yeah because it's like down here yeah i was gonna say i think it's 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 feels like it's 20 something right now. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's 36 here with a real feel of hang on, hang on 26. Yeah. Cause the wind is so bad right now. At least it by is. Me. the wind is bad. Today. Wind chill oh. here in DC is not much better. It's like 28. Uh, so it's been unseasonably so, so cold. We're, um, we're chilly but, up here. <laughs> but that was before it w- turned unseasonably cold this week, it was unseasonably warm. So the blossoms, you know, bloomed pretty early it's like the third earliest bloom ever I think um and so even though it was chilly the actual day we went out there um it was worth it and toward the end when we were like just ending our walk the sun finally did peek out of the clouds and I got some really really nice pictures of the blossoms and it was my first you know I've been to see the cherry blossoms before but this is the first time I got to see them like as I was there like as a DC resident so that was pretty cool um it was just a really nice weekend with my parents and my brother here my brother doesn't get to get down here that much since he lives in Vermont. So it's kind of a far trip for him, but he flew down and it was just a really nice weekend with my family. Um, so that's, that's my walk. Fantastic. Up. What do you think of the cherry blossom uniforms? Oh my God. They're fire. <laughs> <laughs> they're fire. Oh. You all right? Yes. <laughs> the, I got excited about cherry blossom uniforms. <laughs> and that's, I, I, I hate to give it, I always hate to give props to NL East rivals. You know, I hate that. Um, especially like I feel extra rivalry with the Nats, you know, since I live in DC and I'm a Mets fan. Um, but 
I, the cherry blossom uniforms are absolutely gorgeous. And I'm like, oh, don't be good and tempt me to buy a national like, thing. I know I can't do that. Come on. Um, I'm still probably not going to, but the fact that I'm even tempted is impressive. I love the national city connect uniforms. They're my favorite ones so far. I hope the Mets ones are really good. They're not, they're not coming this year. We, we heard, um, on Twitter today, but hopefully 2023 and hopefully they'll be really nice. I would love either the orange, like for them to do an orange alternate, um, kind of like the low Mets, but maybe slightly less traffic cone color. Oh <laughs> um, or I would love for them to do something totally wild and just do purple, like the seven train and do like oh, some sort of seven train design. I think that would be a super cool. <laughs> Liz, well, I don't know how much pull you have with that, but <laughs> and no, on I'd that. love to get talking to whoever does that. <laughs> yeah, find out. Exactly. Talk to Nike or whoever designs these city connect <laughs> uniforms. Um, I, I would love to for um, a purple Mets thing would be like a dream come true for me as someone who, who purple is my favorite color. So, um, yeah, but yeah, uh, me too. Like a seven train themed Mets uniform, I think would be a perfect city connect uniform for the Mets. Um, but yeah, so, uh, that does it for the show this week. Um, Liz, Ben, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, we were so excited to have you and we're really excited to hopefully in the future, highlight some more of the amazing women that work for the Mets, uh, and show how awesome that they're all doing, uh, in the organization. So thank you so much for coming on. Thank yes, you so thank much you. for having me. And yes, please talk to them. They're amazing. I, just, I have a list of people who I think would absolutely love to do this and who I'm sure people need to know about because they're they're doing amazing work here. Yeah. Oh and my Liz, gosh. And we would love to have them. Yes, we would. Um, and Liz, where can people find you on the internet and find more Ooh. of your uh, posting and stuff like that? My Twitter, I believe, is at Elizabeth. Um, and then my Instagram is at Elizabeth.com. Awesome. Um, you can also follow Amazing Avenue on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. You can follow this show on Twitter at A Pod of Their Own. You can follow each of us on Twitter. I am at Petite PhD. Where are you, Linda? At Linda Servage. Kellyanne is not on Twitter, but you yeah, can find so Kellyanne in. Yeah, Kellyanne <laughs> used to be on Twitter and deleted her Twitter. I know I'm not so smart. Um, <laughs> You can find her in the Amazing Avenue comment section moderating. So don't say anything rude. Uh, <laughs> so you can find her in the Amazing Avenue comments as always. Um, the original intro and outro music to this podcast is by Bunga. Please subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. Please rate and review the show. It really helps people find it. Let's go Mets. And don't forget, there is no crying in podcasting.